Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the VSM Real Estate Podcast, getting you closer to massively successful players in the Twin Cities real estate market. I'm your host, Andre Anderson, today joined by Jake Johnson. Hello. I didn't know you were waiting for an audio cue. I was waiting for an audio cue. All right, well, okay. let's keep going. Then we've okay. got this Yahoo. we got this Yahoo right here. Hello. <laughs> Where was the accent <laughs> on uh, on Jake's? They're mandatory. Hello. an accent right here. Yeah. And then a new guest, Ryan. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Of course, yeah, yeah. And just so everyone knows, it's Pertelli, so uh, this guy probably told you otherwise. Pertile? Exactly. Okay, yeah. so. I think I've seen you on some uh, school bus benches and other bus benches. Uh, no, no, I don't spend my money there. <laughs> well, could you uh, maybe introduce us uh, or d- introduce the audience uh, sure. uh, to yourself? Uh, you're a recent alumni, or you were an alumni here at VSM. Yeah, I'll give you the rundown. Um, so, yeah, Ryan Pertelli, uh, real estate advisor with Angle Volkers currently. I knew uh, Ryan Schroeder from uh, some softball days. Yes, he uh, was an athlete at one point in his career. So when I was uh, getting started in real estate, he was investing in some properties. And um, you know, I was looking at doing some uh, investing of my own and just buying a couple of investment properties. So hung my license here at VSM to start. Uh, and then when I actually did decide to make the move full time, I uh, actually went across the river and was in the, the downtown market for uh, a while. and. That's where I met uh, Joe, and from there, a uh, short stint uh, <laughs> to Engel Invokers. And now, uh, let's see, it's been almost three, four years, four years now, I think it's what it's come up to. So I've uh, been there for a while, and uh, yeah, just uh, plugging away, man. I mean, it's as everyone at this table knows, uh, the real estate game, it's, it's a grind. So Yeah, that's for sure. Um, out of curiosity, so I obviously trust you a great deal. Wouldn't have invited you on the podcast if I hadn't. Um, but as you've grown up in the industry, what are some of the things that you've done? I want to hop into questions right away. I hope these guys don't mind. But, no, no, go for it. Um, I'm always curious to learn from my friends, but um, what are some things you do to generate trust with your clients, buyers, sellers? Just what are some things that you know make you a little bit different and unique? Because I, you know, I got to see it at firsthand action a couple times, but it's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's the market has changed so drastically over the last few years too especially with all the stuff uh, online internet you know open door zillow you know all of these things so i think the mentality from a lot of clients too has changed like they just they can go to online and, and buy a house and they don't really think they need somebody mm-hmm. right so and my mentality has always been different and before i got into real estate one of my mentors always said to me sales and service is what you need to focus on everything else you can outsource right so you know, to your question really is really get to know them on a personal level, get, you know, become friends with them. I mean, it's not a simple process as we all know, right? And it's, it takes a lot of time. Everyone's a little bit different where they're at in their sales cycle or if they're selling a house to buy a house. I mean, you spend hours and hours with these folks, right? So mm-hmm. get to know their likes, get to know, you know, their kids, their dogs, their pets, you know, who's in their, who's in their inner circle and things too. And just be a genuine person. I mean, if you can earn their trust and their loyalty, I mean, they're going to probably be, uh, you know, a great client for, you know, hopefully life. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's always been my model uh, is I want to be somebody's advisor for life, not just a transaction, right? So um, it's tough, though. It's it's extremely tough. I mean, our our industry has a lot of agents, right? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of noise and stuff out there outside of, you know, all the stuff internet-based and, and everything. So, I mean, they can they can go online and they can find thousands of us, right? So what's going to separate you? 
And, and I think that's where it really comes down to is differentiating yourself and being there and, and little things too. It's calling them on their birthday, sending them a birthday card, making a handwritten mm-hmm. note, doing the things that other people probably aren't doing and just being there for, for a resource and a, you know, if they have questions mm-hmm. and if they, even after the sale, right? I think a lot of people lose track of this. Um, after the transaction and the agent gets their commission check, you know, they're all excited and they lose track of their clients. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in this industry. You follow up with them. Maybe they talked about doing a renovation of, you know, a kitchen, a bathroom, whatever. Give them two or three, four contractors and say, hey, I know when we were looking, here's some people, right? Mm-hmm. And just always stay in, in front of them as much as you can. Uh, I think it's it's critical today and, and just trying to go in above and beyond. And at Angle Invokers, we're uh, a little bit fortunate where we take things a little bit more. We call the concierge you know, type mm-hmm. of service, right? We really want to roll out that red carpet for them. Um, and that's what we try to do. And, and I think some agents do get you know, kind of caught up in just transactions. And, and I think that would be one of my you know, keys here, or you know, takeaways if anybody's listening. I don't even know how many listeners AM. you guys have. AM. So if, <coughs> 32. If, you know, 32. yeah, 32 listeners. Um, <laughs> you know, just you know, try to earn their trust and just go a little bit above and beyond and, and don't get too caught up in doing uh, transactions and actually build a, a referral network. Well, and none of what you said is actually very hard to do. I mean, no, it, it just it, takes time. Exactly. And it's a pretty low bar in the industry if you want to set yourself apart from other people on the customer service aspect. Like, when was, I mean, how many people actually send their former clients a birthday card? Not Nobody. Many. And you can get a 10-pack yeah. for, what, 5 bucks? Yeah. So. I always use the analogy, too, where, like, you know, it's easy you know, to really come up with the idea, right? Like, we'll sit around here and we'll bullshit, you know, through our way through this podcast, right? And we'll have some good ideas, but you have to execute, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to put the wheels in motion. You have to go and do these things. And if you don't, you're not going to reap any of the, you know, the rewards down the, mm-hmm. down the road. Um, and it is hard. I mean, we were joking earlier before we actually, you know, went live and turned this on is, you know, this industry is tough. A lot of people see it where it's, easy to do or they see what they see on TV and they think, you know, I'm going to get my real estate license because I can take 90 hours of, you know, pass a test and, you know, I'm going to go out and, you know, be the next, you know, million dollar listing or I'm going to flip houses on HGTV and it's it's a lot harder than that. Uh, You know, we know that, but a lot of people don't. And I I think that's a misconception out there, even for the average consumer where we are looked at as glorified door openers. Right. I want to I want to jump onto that because some of my best clients are your past clients, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I was holding on to that for like ten minutes. I was just dying. But uh, out of curiosity, you know, you, you make a great point. I think there's a big misconception out there about our jobs in general, and you know, you don't you you can turn the corner and run into somebody that wants to be a realtor, right? Oh, that looks fun. That's awesome. Oh, I, I like the flexibility and. It's funny because I have less flexibility in my life as a realtor than I did working at a corporation. That's how you really feel. I'll be honest with you. It's 100% true, though. I mean, it truly is. Where I'm going with it is, are there any things that you see new realtors make that are just getting into the business, like mistakes or misconceptions that they come in with and are sorely disappointed or anything like that? Even at Ingle & Volkers, I imagine you guys take on new agents from time to time, not just experienced awesome ones. So is there... Um, is there anything that you're seeing? Because I'm just kind of curious in terms of the marketplace. Yeah, one of the biggest things I'm seeing, and, and actually I wish I would have known when I got in the industry, was actually joining um, either a team or having more of a mentor, like getting into it, uh, right? Like 
me, like, because I was coming from corporate America, and uh, it was one of those things where it's like, I can do this on my own. And I just, I, ha I was, I'm a pretty stubborn person, and I'm just, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do this on my own no matter what. Today, I think, with the way that the market is going in the industry, you, it's hard to go at it on your own. I mean, it truly, truly is. So if you're, if you're trying to, like, come in and, you know, do all these deals, it's just hard for an individual with no experience, right? So go to your office or find a brokerage that's going to help you, uh, you know, get started, you know, going to have some mentorship, going to have some leadership, going to have, you know, some agents there, and either join a team or go to those top agents and work for them, right? Do open houses, shadow them, do it, you know, do the things that they're doing and, and learn. I think what, <laughs> and this was my experience was like, here's a desk, here's a phone, best of luck, right? Yeah. Like, and you don't know what you don't know, but the industry's come, you know, such a long way since then. So, you know, to the question really is, if, if I had any advice for him is like really partner or try to find somebody out there that is going to like lead you in the right direction because I think the stat out there from Inman now is like there's 70% uh, growth in teams so individuals that were like you know when we were growing up when you know mom and dad bought a house from a realtor right like they were all individuals now they're almost all teams and and when I say teams, like, they don't have to be these mega teams, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's positives and negatives to those, but I think one of the big negatives is the follow-up. I, mm -hmm. I just think they're more turn and burn, mm -hmm. right? So my take on it's always been like a Navy SEAL team. If you can get five or six awesome operators, and they don't all have to be agents, but they work really well together, you're going to be able to compete with any top individual or any top team. So, I mean, that's why they're Navy SEALs. That's mm -hmm. why they go out and they compete against... And they, they fight wars, you know, against Taliban and armies that are ten times their size. Right. And they win because they're, they're trained better, right? So if you mm -hmm. have that experience and you have that training, you're going to be able to succeed. So that's my take a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. on just the team camaraderie and, and team, you know, size. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's always the biggest. You know, it's going to be the best. It's fun to hear it because we grew up <clears throat> together in this business and, you know, we kind of share the same vibes and same opinions of that too it's like i don't think this is a business you can just get in at a weekend class and then all of a sudden just start selling properties you need some sort of help and most of us that want to be successful out of college or whatever have a hard time asking for that help because oh we got an a in calculus by ourselves but <clears throat> the reality of it is is most jobs you need help you need help and, and i would challenge everyone out there is like to figure out what you're really good at uh, take a you know uh, an assessment or a disc profile and understand where you're good, mm -hmm. and then find some people that can fill those gaps where you need help because you can't do it all. I mean, most agents when you look at you know top producers too, they're good at certain things, but then they're lacking at others, and they need that help or support mm -hmm. or you know assistant or whoever to help run their team efficiently. And it's just the way it's going to be. One of the mistakes a lot of people make is they think that they have to be that expert in every area rather than understanding they can spend their time in where they're naturally good and have somebody else fill in where they're weak, and the two of them will produce twice as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think uh, and that's just the way that the industry is going, and, mm -hmm. and I think when we all grew up, you know, it was just you got to do it all on your own. Mm -hmm. and, and Joe's right. Like, we grew up, you know, very similar, you know, getting started in the industry together learning like falling down getting back up mm -hmm. but you know we had to learn a lot of that on our own like mm -hmm. 
I mean, to be completely honest, there wasn't anybody there to say you should do this or, or not do this. Like it was trial and error. Mm-hmm. So, but I still think a lot of people are going to have to do that on their own. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have to figure that out. And I mean, <clears throat> not that we've been doing this an extremely long time, but like, right. you know, I feel like I have because, you know, <laughs> we have more wrinkles than <laughs> when we first met. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to, yeah, you, 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 you go through a lot of different scenarios and you have a lot of different experiences and you got to get back up quickly. Well, I can say one, Fail thing, fast, that, right? one thing that that frustrates me is, is that is, is there's a lot of people who they're so worried about failing that they would rather not do anything and wait for somebody to come and tell them what is the right way for me to do this. Um, obviously, you know, if you're talking about something from the legal world or whatever, you, you ask questions first, but get out there and make a mess and then somebody will come in and help you. Like if, if an agent came on the team tomorrow and they went out there and they're like, Joe, I just signed 12 sets of contracts. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I'm kind of swamped. You'd probably drop what you got going on and, and help them with their contracts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for 12 of them? Yeah. yeah. I'll make the time. Maybe nine <laughs> minimum, but yeah. yeah. No, of course, of course. Yeah, so, you need help. Uh, I mean, even thinking about, you know, uh, our relationship and relationships we have with other agents, that can be helpful, too. Even the venting piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, man, I had a rough day today, which I did. And it's like you got to be able to tell somebody and not mm-hmm. take it home, internalize yeah. it, and drink yourself stupid. Well, yeah. one of the things, though, that, I mean, I learned early, too, though, was, yeah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> know, know the neighborhoods, know the market you want to be in, and, and try not to do everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, when you first get started, you get so caught up in, I have a friend, they want to buy, mm-hmm. and they want to buy in Hugo or, you know, Eden Perry. I don't mm-hmm. know the first thing about but I'm going to show them everything, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just running I around. I thought you were the Hugo expert, actually, yeah. <laughs> but you run around. Um, know your market, you know, like, and that was one of the, probably the best things I did for the first three weeks when I was in downtown. Like, I went to every single building just to understand mm-hmm. the inventory out there and where the amenities were, pricing per square foot, you know, what side of the buildings, you know, the O stacks were or the mm-hmm. ones that, you know, just knowing your inventory and knowing that. And then when new inventory comes, like, you're just, you know it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's so many people out there that are not specializing in a marketplace. And I'm guilty as everyone because sometimes you're like, great, like, I've got a client. Now let's go show them. And all of a sudden they start running you all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that can also, you know, suck you, just, you know, the energy and everything out of you. So you, getting started, it's tough. Mm-hmm. But then you really need to start to, I think, you know, what we like to refer to as sub-market specialize. You know, mm-hmm. find that market you want to be in, whether it's the market you live in, and you don't even have to live there. As long mm-hmm. as you are knowledgeable and you can speak. Like if somebody called and they had a question about it, like you could answer it versus mm-hmm. like I'm going to get back to you. Yep. So, and I think that's extremely important. Knowing the inventory, just even if it's, St. Paul, right? Like, mm-hmm. what came on the, the market today? So if you had a client that called and said, hey, any, anything new that I should know about, like, you know. Yeah, there's this great, you know, one bedroom that just came up. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I know it's only a one bedroom. You're looking for two, but, you know, it might be something. Whatever it is, but know it, not just like, oh, I'll get back to you type. Like, mm-hmm. you need to know those things. Yeah. I think that's actually a really valuable answer. You know, most people would be like, the first thing you got to start with is, you know, cold calling or get a prospects list or buy some leads or, you know, start cutting your teeth, which is all really important stuff. But I couldn't tell you the last time I heard somebody say, dive back into the books and learn learn your product. Learn the product, learn the inventory. Today's a little bit different with cold calling, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, how many, 
everyone at this table, your phone rings nonstop from people from all over the place, and you're just like, take Don't me off your list, right? Take me off your list, and that never happens. Mm-hmm. So think about your customer, right? <clears throat> but there's other ways to reach them today, you know, especially with social media and other things that are taking place. You know, and I think that's a really good avenue. Again, you got to be tactical about it, mm-hmm. um, but you do need to get out there. Like you need to put yourself in front of the whatever customer you are going after whether it's the first time home buyer, whether it's, you know, the move up buyer, you know, we've got a, a lady in our office that's really targeting, you know, the 55 plus, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is for you, you just, you need to go and put yourself in those types of situations to meet new people. And it's yeah. not the one thing that always drove me crazy when I first got started and everyone asked like, what do you do? And, you know, initially it was like, Oh, I'm just a realtor. Oh, and then it turned into a, I'm a, you know, a, you know, downtown agent or, mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit different because they always were like, well, I already bought or sold the house, right? Like, I, I, I've i got a place to live. That's great, right? But do you have friends or do you have family that could potentially benefit from the services that I offer? You know, there's more to it than just you. Like, I want to meet other good people. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, you know, looking at that person as a, as a lead or like, oh, I want to sell that person a house. It's like, well, no, like, I want to build a relationship with you. And if if you like me and you think I offer a good service, will you give my name out to your friends if they ever ask about, you know, needing, you know, somebody in this this field? That's how you build your business on people that you like too, you know. If you're liking and and everybody has a good experience and you had a good experience, you keep growing from that. You know, I was thinking about, you know, that gal that you said that's focusing on 55 plus people, and what I think about that is like let's just say you don't focus on an age group, right? I think you have to find a way to empathize with people and find a way to be in their position even though you're not. So if you're going to work with somebody who's 60 years old, understand that they may want to move this. They've been in this house for 30 years. They may want to move a little bit slower than mm-hmm. your 25-year-olds that are having a kid and want to get a house real fast before the, you know, the baby comes. They're in a way different situation. And so if you go in, in the, both situations the same way and you move slow with the guys that want to have a baby and move into the next big house, they're going to be upset. And if you move fast with the older person who's been in the house for 30 years and having a hard time selling, they're going to get upset. Mm -hmm. So understanding your audience, too, I think is critical. And if you do specialize in an audience, then it kind of can be consistent. But I can't tell you, like, how different it is working with a first-time investor that's 20 years old and got a million dollars inheritance versus a seller that's 65 and their husband is in assisted living and we're trying to sell their house so she can buy a house in cash. It's a way different scenario, yeah. and I think oftentimes what I see missed is everybody treats the same, the same or the situation the same way regardless. And mm-hmm. I just think that short sells people, and it puts them in an uncomfortable stage, you know. So yeah, I would agree. I mean, I I totally would, and and you have to know that. And I think the hard part too is sometimes just finding the next person that can help that person, right? Like we all know people that would probably be able to help them better than us. Like, mm-hmm. And that's why I go back to the, like, the disc profile and knowing your traits. Like if you're just at a faster pace and you know this person is going to take them three months to move out of their house, even mm-hmm. after they get an accepted contract, maybe they do a lease back, whatever the case, but it's going to take them because they have 30 years of memories. Mm-hmm. You would be doing that client a disservice if you took it on and you knew you weren't going to be able to, like, you could help mm-hmm. them maybe, right? Yep. But to the fullest of the capabilities. And I think that's a hard thing for people to realize and give that up because they want 100% of mm-hmm. the deal. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just 
recognizing that and say, you know, there's somebody else better out there to, you know. But that's where you build character and brand loyalty. Because and pe- people and relationships that. with other agents, though, mm-hmm. too. Like, you don't have to refer it with inside of the brokerage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have license, so, and that's, that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there, right? Like, why would you refer to a, a competitor? Mm-hmm. Because they're the expert in that field or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, <clears throat> I, I think you just got to be, you know, aware of those things and what you, who you want to help. And, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, an age demographic isn't it. But even if it's just a, a certain territory, mm-hmm. you just you got to know that. No, I've done that in property so. management where people would come with, you know, like the types of properties that we don't, traditionally cater to it's like yeah we could do it but we're going to do a b minus service because it's not our bread and butter whereas this company they specialize in that why don't you go over there have a good experience and you won't bash me on the internet well so you're i was going to bring that up you literally you get one reputation in Mm -hmm. this industry and it takes one bad review and i mean people see that right Mm -hmm. so you don't want to half-ass it, even if you don't have experience and you need somebody. That's why, like I said earlier, find the experts in your office or the agents in your office and kind of partner with them. And Because if you do a half-ass job, they're going to tell their friends and you're never going to get any of their friends' business, right? <laughs> we work so hard uh, not just to you know get a client but retain a client and to do that transaction because most people don't realize how long that takes, right? I mean... It's tough inventory out there. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's still tight. Yep. So, I mean, how long is it taking buyers under 300 or around 300 to find something? How many times are they losing out? So, I mean, it can just take them six months to find something or get an offer accepted, right? And then it's another 30 to 45 days on top of it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said earlier, like, find somebody you're going <laughs> to mesh with and, like, like because you're going to be spending a lot of time in yep. properties, in the car, driving them around, spending weekends together when you'd rather be doing other things. Yep. So. If that's if that's not you know your type of personality, I mean, again, find something that does, uh, and and play to your strengths. That's probably it goes back into the mistakes new agents make too. You know, hey, I'll show you that property. I'll see you there at three o'clock, and then you show them a property, and boom, it's gone. Now it's good to get in front of them. Get you know, get in front of them. I'll show you that property, but. I like to take a step back and be like, hey, can we grab a cup of coffee at Caribou afterwards? Because then you can get to know people, to your point, and you get to feel like, oh, okay, I know what they actually want now versus I saw one property with them. Well, we get excited, right? Yeah. You get that call, and yeah. they want to go see something at 3 o'clock, and you're like, I've got nothing else going on. Of course I'm going to go show you the property. Mm-hmm. You're going to do yourself you know, the disservice sitting down with them for an hour, whether it's in the office or at a coffee shop or wherever, and just understanding their criteria goes a lot further, understanding their financials, understanding their buying power. So when the time does come versus just running around, because most likely when you just go show them that property, they're going to do the next thing or do the same thing to the next agent yep. and just call Zillow or call, you know, whatever website they're on and be, hey, come, come show this at three o'clock. And they're just going to keep turning through people until they find something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can sit down with them and actually lay out, hey, this is what, you know, kind of what to expect, expectations going through all of that, I think that goes a lot further. Um, and that is a big mistake people make early on. Mm-hmm. Guilty as everyone. I mean, you get that call and you get excited. <laughs> so you want to, you're thinking, you're Three thinking, already, I'll be there at two. Yeah, you're already thinking, you. you're already yeah. thinking four steps ahead, like, okay, if they like it, like, do I bring the purchase agreement or not? <laughs> like, do I have them sign it there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did that so many times starting out. 
You know? Like you're just filling it out on the hood of your car? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, on the countertop. Wah, wah. Oh, you don't want to write on it? Okay. <laughs> I'll burn the purchase agreement I have in my car. <laughs> so where's the market going? President? <laughs> I'm not just the president. I'm a member. Is that a thing? I don't know, but you're way too far away from your microphone. <laughs> your quippy joke was lost to the interwebs. I'll quippy your joke. Um, I get a, I get asked this question all the time. I know you do too. You do too. And it's just one of those things where for the last three years, really since I got into this business five, six years, seven years ago, got my license, It's I've always thought 2020 was kind of the the crux, right? I thought inflection point 2020, this is when things might change. And I think I said it because in 2016, 17, it was like just far enough away Mm -hmm. to not have to like be on the hook for it, but just close (coughs) enough where people still thought I had credibility, right? I'm being overly (laughs) transparent here, but I, but real, the realistic part of it is I've always felt that way, even inching closer to it. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, I don't even know what to think because interest rates have stayed ridiculously low. Mm -hmm. Inventory has stayed ridiculously low. And demand has stayed ridiculously high. So it's one of those things where, yeah, I would have expected in the next, you know, everything is indicating the recession, blah, blah, blah. But I would have expected in the next year that something would have changed. But I'm just not seeing that from a demand standpoint, an inventory standpoint, and um, everything else. So I don't really know what to say except for I still think there's something going to be adjusted in the next 18 months. I'm shortening that window now. Um, I don't think it's a crash and burn. No. I don't think people are going to be screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will be an adjustment. Um, it just it'll be different than 2008, and people will will mm-hmm. equate it to 2008 and freak out and overreact and those types of things. But it, there has to be an adjustment. It's yeah. Like the thing about 2008 else. is it's so close to everyone. So that's that's what they remember, mm-hmm. right? They remember their parents losing you know money out of the 401k, yep. equity in the house, all of that, right? Like it's just it's what's recent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys read or stay with Keeping Current Matters or, you know, I know we used to, but um, they did the, the study. If you look back at the, five, the last five recessions, housing actually went up three. One time it was flat, and then the last time in 2008 when it was drastically down. And there's very but specific reasons. Very specific reasons. Yeah. And everyone always just remembers, you know, they hear the recession word, the R word, and they just, mm-hmm. they, they clam up and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, it's, it's a cycle every 10 years. Um, for real estate, I, I agree with Joe. I think we are in for a correction, mm-hmm. you know, for our economy. Um, and, you know, what I was going to say from the 2020, if you mm-hmm. look at, you know, election mm-hmm. periods, right, the four years, you just never know. So mm-hmm. most of the time things start to happen after an election. Yep. New policies come into place. So Confidence is it would, it would make sense. Yep. So what we're seeing, and actually I was just talking to some loan officers this morning, and I mean, the refined business has just been, just crazy, mm-hmm. right? Because of where rates have gone. He's like, I've been refining people who just bought a house two years ago, mm-hmm. um, and we have we haven't seen that. We're never going to see rates like this ever again. Well, all the funny Plain stuff about this is like, what year is it? 2019. So 2018, they raised the rates what four times, and then they announced coming into 2019, we're going to do it at least twice. They thought they were going to be above like five percent, around five yeah. percent. And then all the international uncertainty shows up, so they're like, you know what? We're going to back off that. So no raises. Um, the economy is still extremely strong. The stock market, when you look at it, is only reacting to the the, the trade war speculations. <coughs> All of the actual hard and fast economic sectors are extremely stable and still growing. 
but yet the housing market isn't necessarily following along the way that the economy would suggest it would. You know, uh, what's the uh, price growth in houses stagnated this year compared to its growth levels last year, which saw some markets saw 13%. Now down one to three percent is is the average. So, for me looking at it, it's just a ginormous mixed bag. So what I would add to it though is like so depending on if you're a renter, if you're a current homeowner, or if you're soon to be a buyer right, mm-hmm. or a purchaser. I mean, sellers are so used to the last two to three years. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, let's be honest, 2015, 16, a little bit of 17. I mean, some homeowners were getting ridiculous amounts mm-hmm. for their properties, right? Yes. I mean, we would go into some of the listing appointments and we'd have, you know, our CMAs and our price analysis, and we would be sometimes it'd be like throwing a dart because mm-hmm. we would say one thing, they would want to get a, something else. And we we would try it, mm-hmm. and we would get it. <laughs> now you have to be very like there are. I mean, I don't know how many you know emails you're getting on price reductions or improvements mm-hmm. today, right? Like that didn't happen last year or two years ago. Okay. You're getting more of those. So if if you're going to be uh, listing your house, you need to be pretty much you know spot on with mm-hmm. the pricing. So you do your homework, work with somebody who's you know more of a listing agent and actually knows that area. Yeah. If you're a buyer, I mean, obviously this is. Again, rates are never going to be this low. And if you're a renter, I mean, now's a really good time. I mean, look at the boom we went through just in all the apartments and everything that have gone up, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing, like, free parking, you know, free one-month rent for free mm-hmm. in some of these big buildings. What does that tell you? They can't, they can't occupy it. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. getting enough renters, so they're trying to get people in there mm-hmm. because more people are looking at, it just makes more sense for me to buy. And if they lock in for 30 years, I just had that conversation with somebody this past weekend. Like we went from looking at a, tw- um, a 2000 square foot home to a 3,500 square foot home mm-hmm. because their logic was Ryan, we can buy something in you know the 2000 square foot range, but we'll need something bigger in like three to five years mm-hmm. at where the rates are mm-hmm. and we can afford it. And we're 20% down. Yep. We're, we're going to just skip the first time home mm-hmm. and we're going to look at just, going to a house that we're going to be in for 10 to 15 mm-hmm. years. Why don't like, you refer cool. them to me? You went to one of them. They're like not in your territory. Well, I mean, <laughs> but to your point, when is the next time in, I mean, our lifetimes or ever <clears throat> that you're going to see in a growing strong economy them cut interest rates again? I mean, it's what, 3.75 or 3.6 is... Yeah. Joe, when you bought your first house, what was the interest rate? Three and a half. Oh, well, you're not a good market. I'm at 2.9 now. <laughs> So. <laughs> I'm not Mine the greatest like, study. <laughs> Mine was like six and three quarters, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I thought that was good. That, and I Maple talked, Grove? Yeah. yeah. And, and I talked to my folks at the time, and they're like, that's awesome. Like, yeah. we, bought in, we bought in the teens. So I'm yeah. sitting there, you know, Country and not to date myself, right? I'm not that old. But, you know, I'm sitting there going, wow. 41 like, is old, dude. 40. I haven't broke 40 yet. <laughs> um, but you're just sitting there going, wow, they bought in the teens? Like, I'm getting a hell of a deal. All right. But then you start to see them still going lower, you know, and it's just like, so you, I wish we all had that magic, you know, crystal ball that you could just, you know, see. But, I mean, rates are not going to, and even if rates do start to go up, I mean, we're talking minimal, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can get into a nice house and lock that thing in, and you can be set, Well, right? there's still a long way to go of reasonable rates like it can go up a lot before it starts getting to the 1980s early 90s what the hell are you doing type rates and i don't think we'll really see those i mean hopefully not in my lifetime but 
<laughs> Not unless incomes start to skyrocket because you think about 11% interest rates on $400,000 homes and it becomes right. unapproachable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so then, you know, let's, let's flip it a little bit too. And I don't know how much you guys like pay attention to the, the coasts and stuff too. So like on the East Coast or even on a little bit on the West Coast now, they're starting to feel a little bit more of that pinch, right? Like mm-hmm. we have extreme, we have a lot of buyer demand here, mm-hmm. but our job market has always been pretty stable. Um, we have, you know, we have good good houses you know we have a lot of inventory we're in the midwest but like most of the coast or the the coast right now are more experiencing more of a buyer's market right Mm -hmm. because they went through that boom they they got the inventory earlier than we did we're just playing some of that Mm catch-up right well they hit the affordability index sooner and you know there was additional things had to cause it to correct and yeah so I, i to the market question i mean yeah i think we're we're on a good good path Especially for anybody that's even in a house still, yes, you can still sell it, you know, and, and still make, you know, depending on when you bought it, but mm-hmm. you know, you're in a good equity position, even if it was a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone always thinks my house is going to be worth more next year. That I don't know if that's always going to be the case anymore because we did go through a period where we were throwing out some pricing and we were getting it. I, I mm-hmm. don't think you can do that anymore. That's why when you said like the house went up 13% and then the next year you said 13% and then yeah, down down, down one and a half or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like on a two-year stack you're still at 12% or mm-hmm. whatever. So right. it's like. It, but people don't people don't look at historics. Right? No. They just look historic at what it was yesterday. Yeah. Like consistently. <laughs> yeah. Like regardless. Of Even when I'm running comps, I'll bake in 3% if it's a year-old comp. Oh, 3%. You know that puts it at 450, and then ours is. I, I'm guilty of that too. Like, oh, I'll build in some appreciation. But how hard was it, like, pricing homes like a couple of years ago? Right. I mean, it, it really, you could come with all the data you wanted to, and if the homeowner was like, no, I want to list it for 500 and you're like, man, this only says 450 but let's try it. And you mm-hmm. get it, and you're like, awesome. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. Y- it you happened can do, to me several times. You can. <laughs> Sellers would be like, yeah, let's try it. And all of a sudden, the offer on the first day, and you're like, I just got an yeah. extra 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> but I think now you really have to be strategic. Yeah. I, I, Those days, I think, are over. Mm-hmm. Um, the demand is still there. I mean, we still have a ton of... I mean, I just... I did this a few weeks ago, and it was just... It was staggering to me when I looked at it. So um, under 500000 um, in the, the 16-county uh, metro, um, under 500000 we have one and a half months of uh, inventory. Once you go above $500,000, it's five and a half months. Mm-hmm. So to that point, though, like where some people where they can move up, mm-hmm. again, you're going to probably be able to negotiate because there's more inventory, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Find something that you're going to, and if you have a house, you're probably, because people are like, well, I might sell high and buy high. That's not the case right now. And people need to know that. And I don't think if people are realizing up, yeah. that. So people that are moving up in a house with rates being as low as they are mm-hmm. and what you can get, they're selling high, and they're also probably getting a little bit of a deal because there's mm-hmm. five and a half months supply of, mm-hmm. of inventory above $500,000. When you look at negotiating position plus <clears throat> total cost factoring and all financing and everything, you're actually yeah. kind of buying high or selling high, buying medium. Yeah. Market value. Yeah. I mean, you're you're, but most people are like, oh, I, I can I can you know buy or sell high, and I can you know I'll buy high. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And I tell them no, like you're, it's fair market value. Mm-hmm. But just because there's more inventory and we are able to negotiate a little bit off of the list price or what they're asking, like th- that's what we're here for. That's what mm-hmm. we, that's what we get paid to do. Think and, about when but we, we need to know that information. Think about when we first started, and you would think about a price reduction 30, 45, 50 days in, right? 
Now you'd start to talk about it, right? When we kind of first started. Nowadays, it's like if a house hasn't sold in nine hours, you're already like, <laughs> oh my gosh, nobody likes it. Should we reduce the price? I think that's scary. <laughs> and that that alludes to the fact that you need to price it right at the beginning because you don't want to be sitting on the market for one week just to hit the one-week mark before making a price reduction and then relaunching the property 12 times. Right. You know? And those are tough conversations, right? Yeah. Because then you sat in the living room really at the kitchen table and you, you had that conversation with them and you know they said, hey, you're the one who priced the house for us. Well, what's going on? So I think you have to have... And, Every client's different, and that's what I've learned. Like mm-hmm. you, you can have all the information in the world, but if you have that older person, or if you have somebody who just wants to, hey, if I if I'm you know gonna get my price, or I need to move because I have to within the next like 60 days, so we need to like be aggressive. So everything is different. You got to take all of those factors into consideration when you go into those appointments. Mm-hmm. But to Joe's point, people are sellers. You know, they're kind of you know barking at us a little bit mm-hmm. more because they're like. Well, my neighbor, like, three years ago sold their house in, like, three hours, and, and you're not even doing an open house. Like, you know, it's like, well, yeah. you know, so let's talk through that. Locking apples. It'd be, it'd be interesting to poll a bunch of realtors and see what uh, percentage they think the purchase or the <coughs> list price, you know, relates to the sale. Because I guarantee it's probably 75% of it. I, Professional photos, 10. And then you've got, yeah. you know, pricing it right and marketing it right is the biggest biggest piece pricing by far is one of the biggest pieces and, and, and i i mean without giving you know too much information you know to you guys and the competitors in the yeah. world right engel Markers has a model go back through it later <coughs> just edit, model just edit. proprietary yeah, model. yeah proprietary engel and Volker no, model the what i what i tell people <laughs> to do is again model <laughs> can i just take a picture of this <laughs> no we got it it's okay does, does instagram this? Yeah. yeah the market's the market right so, I mean, we can sit here and we can talk about, like, the comps and everything all day long. The market's going to dictate really what anything is yep. worth. We're all consumers. We all understand that. You just need to make them realize it. We can throw out a number, and we might, we might truly think it's a $500,000 property or a mm-hmm. two fifty property, but after the first weekend and you get one showing, mm-hmm. the market's speaking to you. Yes. So no matter what you do differently or how you – I mean, you can have the best marketing plan in the world. You can do all the photos, all the video – you can have the biggest party at the property, <laughs> spend all of this money, but if you don't have the right price, game over. I mean yeah. that that's that's the thing. And now you do need to prepare the property right. Yep. If you don't prepare it right and, and actually stage right. it, or if you don't get it ready for the market, and you don't take really good photos and, you, and your marketing does suck, mm-hmm. it's gonna you know it's gonna yeah. show. Oh, but yeah. the market's yeah. the market, and it's gonna it's gonna show really quickly whether you're priced right or not. I mean, if you get a lot of people through, and then there's no offers either, that's telling you something as well. Mm-hmm. But we have to have those conversations, and they're tough conversations mm-hmm. with people. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Andre, what else do you have to say, man? <laughs> I, I honestly, I just you've been quiet, Andre. Yeah. I've just been enjoying the information. And, yeah, you know, the, taking the, it all in. Exactly. Yeah, because, you know, the podcast earlier today, I talked a little bit. You know, yeah. I suppose you know. this is round two for you. <coughs> it is saving yeah. the voice. You know, I didn't bring another shirt, so it's gonna release and nobody would have noticed until now. Yeah. Right. they're gonna <laughs> go back watch the other one. What was the well, other one about? You only got thirty something viewers, anyway. So right. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> this, this guy's wearing the same shirt. That's pretty <clears> generous. <throat> <laughs> so I got one more question. It's kind of kind of related, but but kind of different. Um, obviously, right now the biggest buyer pool is the millennial generation, 
and up until you know maybe two three years ago uh, our generation was the rental generation and now some switched and a lot of them are starting to look to buy but we are the I don't want to talk to people let me do it online generation how is that changing the approach to today's market and how is that uh, you know just thinking it through going to make us have to adjust going into tomorrow I mean I could talk all day about you know the online you know all the different websites and pros and cons you know of it um, what I would say is I mean the millennial generation um, and just so that everyone here and all your 32 viewers know like I'm right on that border so you know 82, you call a 82 or all right X? 82 is when it's good so Lord. he just says 82 he's like i'm not getting <laughs> are your kids having kids yet or no no grayson is definitely not <laughs> they are definitely coming to every appointment every showing more educated because you can certainly find and and you know the the way that everything moves at such a, a light speed today that's good like i want people to come educated because I also want to, but I have to make sure that I'm also aware of what they're reading and what, you know, where they're getting the information. Now the, the rental, you know, buyers that are coming to the market now, that's, I mean, it's great because they're looking at it from a different position, right? Mm -hmm. Before they were looking at probably more of a flexibility position of like, okay, I can rent for a couple of years, test the waters. Mm -hmm. And now like they're seeing like their friends like build equity into a, a house or a condo or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we definitely need, you know, that market to continuously be buyers, right? Um, what we need more of, more inventory of, are those people who are moving up or downsizing or right-sizing or they're mm -hmm. going into townhomes or condos or the senior, you know, communities, right? We need that inventory because it takes eight, nine, ten months to build anything. Mm -hmm. Even the national builders, I mean, and now look at the supply, like, of materials. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just finished a, a, a new construction, and we were delayed because of materials. Mm -hmm. That's going to continuously happen, especially what's going on politically. So, Yeah, anything that comes from China is going to cost we need, another 25%. We need that inventory, but where a lot of that pent-up demand is, is that demographic, right? It's, it's the millennials that are looking to be purchasers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I find they ask a lot more loaded questions. <laughs> you know, they know the answers to them because, to your point, the data. Yeah, they come educated, there. right? Yeah, they come you're educated. Your own medicine? What's that? You're getting your own medicine. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. So, um, but what I think that does is it makes us make sure we're on our game too, mm -hmm. right? Like you don't want to go in there and get outdone by somebody who's not doing your job. Right, they um, just Google a few times. They right. Left you in the dust. Right, and I think, but I also think like. You can't just like an older person who has a ton of experience selling and buying real estate. You can't let them bully you into changing your mind either. Mm -hmm. If you have an opinion on a property and it doesn't align with the article they read in the New York Times, you can share it because everything you read out there does not apply to every submarket in Minneapolis no. and St. Paul. And so I think a lot of times it's like. I'll get asked a question. I'll give my honest opinion, and they'll be like, "Well, we actually read this," and it's like. I totally get that, right? I'm an overly transparent person. These are the conversations I'm having. Mm -hmm. I totally get that, but here's why I think I disagree with it. And they totally get that, too. So I think having honest conversations, regardless of millennials or anything like that, is helpful. But what I've seen from them is the same thing Ryan is. is they come more educated. They ask more questions. Um, and they're, they're sometimes can be a little bit more impatient. Like they want to get into a property, you know, mm -hmm. at 2 o'clock. They want to get in at 3 o'clock. Mm -hmm. 
Um, versus, you know, the older crowd is usually a little bit more like, hey, let's go on Saturday, yep. you know. Um, so you have to be flexible with that and just understand that that's just kind of people's expectations now. And just because you can't make it happen in an hour doesn't mean you're a disappointment or a failure or they're going to go to the next agent. You just have to set that expectation. And you got to be flexible and figure out how to get them in there as fast as you can because if it's a great price property, it's going to go quick. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that generation is also growing up with everything that's app-based, right? Oh. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's getting your food, whether it's getting a cab, whether it's you know the, the Uber, you know everything is so instant. Yeah, like, where we grew, I mean, went to college and then barely you know a cell phone, a Nokia, where it was T9 or whatever. Yep. It was that called, was indestructible. Right. You can put so, it through the microwave. So but you they, grew up in Wisconsin. <laughs> we so. still had cell phones. <laughs> it's not Iowa. <laughs> they came out like two years ago. I was gonna say. <laughs> to, to Joe's point, though, too, of like knowing that information, but also earning their their trust and their, lo- their loyalty a little bit, as far as just being able to speak your mind. Mm-hmm. But going back to the sub marketing, too, like being that specialist and knowing that, like if you just are trying to be everything to everyone, they're going to see through that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I also said earlier, I think it's important to work for somebody or be on a team, because you will get some of those people who will call, mm-hmm. right? And if you're an individual, you've got a hundred different things going on. Mm-hmm. Your showing assistant or your, you know, whoever you're trying to mentor, or if you're trying to build a mm-hmm. team, or if you have a team, they can help you. They mm-hmm. can, because those millennials are, they're going to go on to the next person, right? Now, mm-hmm. we know at this table, right, like the easy part is opening the door. Mm-hmm. Going through the property, giving us a, you know, giving our buyers our honest opinion. I mean, looking at the house, whether it's, uh, you know, it's built you know, what year, the foundation, looking at it, like looking at utilities, looking at it, like going through it with a fine tooth comb. Because what I tell my buyers too, a lot of times is if you like this, we're making an offer on the condition it's in. Mm -hmm. We're not going to renegotiate during the inspection. That's not how I operate. And I want to make sure we see this place. If you like it, if you walk in and you know it's not for you, fine. Mm -hmm. But if you actually like it, let's spend some time here. Mm -hmm. Because we want to make sure, because if it's priced right, you only probably have an hour to really look at it. And then if you are literally going to be like, well, I'm going to sleep on it, guess what? Somebody else is sleeping in it. We're in the market right now, and I I couldn't tell you four months ago how many times we'd be at our showing, and I would get a text message saying highest and best by 5. Well, it's 4.30 right now. Like, (laughs) Let me hotspot this. Yeah. Ugh. And that, that, Let me pull over here. <clears throat> that's tough. That makes it extremely, extremely difficult for the agents out there. It's a bad experience. But it's a bad experience for your clients mainly, right, because that's what they, they think, you know, every time that they go and put in an offer, then it's going to be the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think where the market is going a little bit, too, is m- properties will be on the market a little bit longer here in the near future. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, sellers will be like, well, that's not going to, you know, create as much buzz and, you know, you're not going to get as much demand. And You can still do a lot of things, but it's going to give the buyer who's buying that property mm-hmm. time to think about it. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> to go into a property and look at it for maybe one hour and make a decision. Inspection one hour and then right? boom, two hours. So, yeah. so backing up a little bit, having an hour consultation with these people and laying out all the expectations on the front end actually saves you time. I can't tell you how many times some people are like, I don't have time to sit down with you for an hour. I just want to go see this. And honestly, my my answer now is then we're not the right fit for one another, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that mm-hmm. because you know what's going to happen is they're going to keep doing this over and over, and they're going to suck more time out of mm-hmm. me and the clients who that I actually owe that time to. 
So if you can, like, you know, spend that hour with them and just lay out expectations, I promise any new agent or even, you know, agents that have gotten away from this over the years, because it is such a fast pace, you're going to, like, make that up in the back end. Mm -hmm. And that's important because, again, we go back to, like, just being a professional, you know, having the service, um, providing value to these people. Like I said, the easiest part is, and we, we joke a little bit, and I'm sure you guys do too, like opening the door and putting, you know, photos up on the Internet and taking the photos and putting a sign in the yard, those are the easy things, right? Mm-hmm. Really where our job starts is from when that purchase agreement is signed mm-hmm. to the closing. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times we have to become problem solvers mm-hmm. And people look at us... After the closing, too. Even after the closing, sometimes. It does happen. But during that 45-day-ish period, right, like how many times do you get thrown a curveball, whether it's from the lender, whether it's from the appraisal, whether it's from your buyer, whether it's from the seller, there's CIC, whatever the case may be, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times clients don't see that. I don't, unless they need to be involved with it. That's part of your job. Shield them from the bullshit. You don't need to vomit all over them with everything, right? That is your job. But they don't see that. The general public doesn't see it. The, you know, and the persona out there is that, you know, again, we just open closed doors and, you know, oh, you have access to a lockbox. Mm-hmm. That's all you do. But no, like there's more to it. So showing that value, but showing your expertise in the neighborhood, you know, understanding that, being, you know, uh, cognizant of the millennial market, what mm-hmm. they're, where they're reading, what they're, where they're getting their information and ask them. I don't pretend like I know everything. I'm sure you guys don't either. Like, if you don't know, like, find the you can find the answer. So, right? you, were so. you bored with this wisdom, or did you learn through <laughs> the trial of hard knocks? Well, you know, uh, trial of hard knocks is definitely uh, the route that I had to go. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's it. This industry, like, I my one regret is I only wish I would have did this sooner because yeah. I worked in corporate America for a long time. I loved the co- the company that I worked for. Learned a lot from them. They're still mentors today, but. Um, Really what drove me was, like, I was covering 22 states out on the East Coast, and I was traveling a lot, and then I was getting married, you know, to Lisa, and, like, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was just living out of a suitcase. Mm -hmm. And like I said, uh, I was friends with Ryan, and uh, he was, you know, doing well for himself, and I was like, I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. But learning, right, and not pretending like you know everything. I mean, you have to fail. So we you gave do. him a chance, and he just ditched us when the time was right. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's funny how yeah, you make your way better. here where I started. <laughs> Following in your footsteps is kind of my M.O., you know? Well, didn't you already say you just pick up all his former clients? Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> they, don't, they don't leave me. But, no, this, I mean, this is good information, you know, and, and, uh, and, and thank you, Joe, and thank you, you know, for everyone for, you know, having this. But I think it's just important for people to get real information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of my biggest things, and I tell people all the time, like, there's only so many families that I'm going to be able to help throughout the year, but if I can help you with providing the right information, mm-hmm. that that's a win for me. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, again, going back to empathy, doing the right thing is always the right thing, mm-hmm. and not expecting anything in return. Um, you know, I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I, you know, I used to read a lot. Now it's audio, you know, books on audio because you're in the car a lot more. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. When Lisa um, can't read to you anymore, it's hard. <laughs> hey, they got She's phones. definitely not going to be listening to this podcast now. Just give her a call. <laughs> like, Let me read chapter three to me today. But you, you honestly have to put the clients first, mm-hmm. and, and you have to do what's right by them. And, you know, whether it's, you know, Gary Vee or whatever, like, I love some of his stuff. Like, in the wine business, when somebody would order something from him, and it was, you know, Thanksgiving, and 
the wrong wine was shipped. Literally, he got in his car, and it was a blizzard, whether it was or not, and like he made you know the stories yeah. better. But he drove it there. Somebody drove it there, mm-hmm. free of charge, mm-hmm. right? I think we forget, like they have our clients have such a big say, mm-hmm. and we need to be thanking them more mm-hmm. than what I think a lot of agents do. And I think that's very important and critical. So, um, so yeah, just getting good information out there is tough mm-hmm. because again everyone now has a voice with the internet whether it's right or wrong they have a voice and yeah. if it's wrong it's not going anywhere <laughs> like you can't just go in there and like overwrite that or type over it you know like it, it's there and, sometimes and it's to the that, loudest to that point i think you know when you're early on in the business and you're trying to make a paycheck right you start to gloss over a few items that you probably wouldn't gloss, you know, shouldn't gloss over and you kind of try and get the deal done, you know it won't be any big problem. But that number one, that's a bad experience. Number two, it's going to create problems later on that probably are going to cost you money anyway. So yeah. getting that commission isn't going to be all that helpful. Um, so I think it's going back to that um, experience part of it. And I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, I've taken blame for things that aren't my responsibility or not my fault or whatever because at the end of the day, the clients come first, and they always will, and they will help you put food on your table if you help them have a place to put their table. Is that better than the... No, it's not better. No, it's not better. I liked it. Thanks, Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 not better. No, but we we appreciate you coming on. Mm -hmm. Um, Seriously, it's always good to hear different perspectives, and we'll have you on again, and Engel and, Volker, Engel and Volkers, I respect the hell out of. Uh, mm-hmm. you got some great people over there. My good buddy Spencer's over there, too. But, Spencer's over there. Um, seriously, yeah, great great group of people, and, uh, you know, we're we're aspiring to be just well, like them. Two things, yeah, better, better than them. Two things that I would leave your uh, audience of 32 <laughs> with, right? Um, 33. 33, we got, we got one oh, more? 3,300 now. Is this one up? Yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, pay for one if they don't come organic. <laughs> one of the things that I... I uh, didn't mention and you just it sparked it before um, that when you're getting into the industry anybody that's getting into it everyone that I sit down with they always think you know hey I can get into it very low startup cost because mm-hmm. they can be flexible <laughs> it's, it's the furthest furthest thing from the truth right mm-hmm. even if you got a client today like corporate America you get paid like every two weeks mm-hmm. I don't remember what that feels like right <laughs> but you even if you found a client today, it's about a 45-day time period, right? Mm-hmm. Most people, when they get started, then that's why I said, if you're smart, go work for somebody. And even if you have to do stuff for free, do it for free, mm-hmm. um, because you're gonna get stuff that they're not gonna be able to handle. Yep. I mean, the startup. If you don't have six months of savings, mm-hmm. minimum, don't get us. Don't get into the industry until you do. Mm-hmm. Or start to shadow people and do it on the side, you know, do a side hustle a little bit, work part-time. Now, on the part-time thing, you can't do this part-time. <laughs> no. You can do it for a short time, right? No, I've seen To guys, get experience. I've seen guys pound the phone for six months. I mean, not just pound the phone, but they're doing the work for six months, and they get their first closing check after six months, and they've been full-time in it. Like, right. Well, that was Ryan. That, so. that was me, so... <laughs> but but that's the truth. Like you know, we need to set the right expectations for mm-hmm. the people who are trying to get in this industry. And what's the stat out there? Like yeah. the average number of transactions that an agent does in Minnesota is three. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but like you're not going to be able to live off of that because everyone. Yeah, I mean everyone thinks like, oh, you get these huge commission checks, right? Well, we still have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
we still have to set some aside. We have other expenses by the time, and we have to pay our broker. Mm -hmm. By the time we actually get paid, right? Somebody used, used the analogy one time, like if I have $6 bills, mm -hmm. the listing side gets three, I'm left with three. One has to go to taxes, one usually goes to the broker, and I'm left with one. Mm -hmm. I mean, but that's not what people think, and I just want to make sure like you're setting the right expectation because everyone that I sit down with and they're like, hey, I'm thinking about getting the industry, awesome want to help you as much as I can, but I have to set the right expectation mm -hmm. for you. If you think you're going to come in right away and just like make a ton of money, you're going to probably be thrown backwards, whatever mm -hmm. your salary is now, times 10. Mm -hmm. Like get ready. And, and the people that aren't, those are the people that usually don't renew their license after you know, well, the two years. Well, the taxes are a serious thing too. Like it's oh, for one, sure. It's one thing when your employer is like, we're just going to take that and give it to Uncle Sam. And it's another thing where you have to be like, I'm going to put it over here. You to give literally Sam. yourself have to be diligent enough to take it out of that paycheck, that commission check, mm -hmm. and set it aside for taxes. You get about one year and then he comes after you and takes everything you yeah. got until it's paid up. It was one of the biggest things, uh, probably the best decisions I made was when I got into it, I just hired a CPA and I said, I'm paying myself once a month whether I have a deal done or not, but mm -hmm. like the whole taxes thing, because that's what I heard from everyone, mm -hmm. is make sure you pay them because once you get behind, good luck. Mm -hmm. it's, no, yeah. it's no joke. And they're yeah. not going to let go. I mean, let's be honest, they're never going to let go of the money that you owe them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, make sure you, you set that and be smart about it. Mm -hmm. You have to. So it's it's... It's real. You'll pay one way or the other. <laughs> you can also invest in real estate. You can invest it back. And we're on to our new podcast, <laughs> Real Estate Investing. Yeah, but I think I've got an appointment to get to. Yep. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, yeah, everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely do this again. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for joining, everybody.